Uh, just to catch you up, we are towards the tail end of a series called All In. We started this right after Easter. And so we've been digging through scripture, looking for what it looks like to be all in in regards to our faith and following Jesus. So all in, we would define that or describe that as fully following Jesus. And we've been able to kind of navigate that, discover what does that really look like to truly, fully follow Jesus, before we jump into how we're going to kind of close out that series today, though, um, I'm super, it was a great weekend in my house. It was an amazing weekend because my middle son, my eight-year-old son, he mowed the yard by himself this last weekend. I mean, he did so good. And this is not, this is not like the father, oh, like he helped mow the yard and like you're still having, no, I mean, I got it going for him. And he says, dad, I got it. And I'm like, let's go. And so then he went off and mowed the yard. I went off and did something else, kept a little bit of an item. But by the time I really came over, I was like, dude, Cole, you literally mowed the entire yard. It was awesome. I'm in a great headspace today. I'm feeling good. Life's good in the Haas house because of that moment. But it wasn't just that he decided to do it. Like he's been working on that. Like even last season, he would mow a little bit. And so I'm teaching him how to do it. And here's how you do this. And here's how you do turn it and all the things. So he's been learning how to do that. But over the weekend, he straight up took everything he learned, put it into practice and mowed the yard. It got me thinking of all the things that we have been taught. Like, I'm sure that's a huge list, but if you can, just mentally begin to go through all the things that you have been taught. I mean, from a very young age, you were taught to read and write. You were taught to ride a bike. You were taught to swim. You were taught to fill in the blank. All the way up to then, you were taught to drive. You were taught to navigate relationships. You were taught to deal with conflict. You were taught to interview. You were taught to... And then the job that you're in, like you'd go through and just make this massive list of all the things that you were taught. And if you're like me, you begin to think through that list and you begin to tie people's names to what you were taught. Oh, it was my mom that taught me to drive. It was this coach that taught me to play this sport. It was this person that taught me how to, and then fill in the blank. And I bring that up because it was a few years ago, um, I shared this with you. Some of you, this will be new for you. Uh, but if you were with me uh, and part of our church for a while, I shared something about three years ago. And, and it's interesting, like I'll share stories and things about our family and then I never like come back to it. So three years later, I wanna give you a life update on what happened three years ago. Three years ago, I shared a problem that I had been having. I shared a, uh, an area of my life that I was not doing a very good job. I'm bad at making pancakes in our, in our family. Saturday morning we wake up and I would make pancakes trying to be like a helpful husband. Becky, you don't have to worry about cooking. I'll make the pancakes. But the problem was every time I made pancakes, they were gooey pancakes. And my kids would finally catch on. They're like, dad, are you going to make pancakes this morning? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make pancakes. And they're like, can mom make the pancakes, please? And I'm like, what? Like I'm learning. And they're like, no, like you're gooey pancakes. And we're not talking warm chocolate chip gooey, chocolate chip cookie type of gooey pancakes. Like these are the uncooked type gooey pancakes. They were terrible. And so for the last three years, I want you to know, I've been working on making pancakes. And it was not something that I could just learn on my own. It wasn't something that just happened overnight. Over the last three years, I have had some incredible people join me in my life journey of making pancakes. 
Some of you, in fact, after I preached that message like three years ago, I got so many pancake recipes. I was given a cookbook on how to cook pancakes. My wife, she's an amazing cook. I mean, she grew up cooking. I did not. So even when we got married, she'd cook amazing meals. And so she, instead of just coming and says, Brian, move over, I'll cook the pancakes for you. She actually taught me how to do it. So I wanna share what I've learned over the last three years as far as making pancakes that are not gooey. I learned what the consistency is supposed to be like. Mine was way too thick. Like, do you know you're supposed to be able to almost like pour it out? Like I'd have to shake mine out. So I learned that. Did you know that you're supposed to let the batter sit for a few minutes? Did you know that? I did not know that. It will change your life in making pancakes. You're supposed to let it sit until you start to see some air bubbles, then it's ready to go. Then you put it on the griddle and I learned that you're supposed to let it sit a lot longer. Like, man, when you've got three kids in our house, it's just how many pancakes can I flip and make as soon as possible? So you'd have to wait, you wait till it bubbles and you know it's ready, then you flip it, you wait. There's a lot of patience involved in this, I have learned. But man, I'm so thankful that I've had such great people come alongside me, teach me the ropes of making pancakes because I can stand before you today telling you, I, Brian Haas, can make a good pancake today. It took me a while, super proud of it but I have been taught how to do so. The reason we are thinking about being taught things and learning things and coming alongside other people is because that is a huge piece of being all in. If all in is fully following Jesus with us and our personal relationship with Christ, there's another side to being a follower of Christ that I don't ever want us to overlook. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives this command. We refer to this nowadays as the Great Commission. Jesus has already been arrested, crucified, came back to life, and now is giving some final instructions, a final mission to his followers. And we can take this to heart for us as well. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You notice some of the words that Jesus used here. First of all, he said, go and what disciples? Did you catch? Go and make disciples. So often we, we instead think of, well, isn't it just like being a disciple? Jesus doesn't say go and be a disciple. Go and keep following me. Go and just be a better follower of me. No, he says go and make other disciples. And he goes and explains how to do that. You teach them. Teach them to obey all the commands that I have given you and know that I'm always with you. Right? And oftentimes when we think of being a follower of Christ, a disciple of his, being all in, fully following Jesus, we usually tend to just think about that in context of our personal relationship with Jesus. That is a huge piece of it, without a doubt. But don't miss the other side of it. Truly being all in, truly being a, fully, a follower that fully follows Jesus is yes, following him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind personally, but also leading other people to Jesus. It's both sides. Yes, I have to follow him, but I'm also called to make disciples, not just be a disciple, but also to make disciples, to teach other people, to help other people in their spiritual journey and to help them grow in their faith. To come alongside, we would use the word in church circles if you grew up hearing this word, to disciple other people, to be a disciple that truly disciples others. To help with that, to help look, look at 
What does that really look like and how does that kind of play out? We're gonna look at an Old Testament passage. Uh, We'll be in Exodus 18, we'll be there the rest of our morning. And as we go through this passage, I think we're gonna see what Jesus was referring to, what it looks like to come alongside somebody and to help them take next steps in their own faith. Before we go through Exodus 18, let me give you a little context so you know what we're jumping into. That's a great Bible study tool and technique. Anytime you read scripture, look before, look after, so you know the context of what you're looking at. So what has happened prior to Exodus 18 is God called Moses from the burning bush, said, Moses, I'm calling you. And then you know the line, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people. There you go. That's what God called Moses to do. And so he said, I want you to lead my people, Moses. I want you to lead them out of slavery, lead them out of oppression from Pharaoh. And then I want you to lead my people. And so Moses does that leads them out of Pharaoh. They've been wandering in the wilderness just for a little bit of time. Hasn't been that long at this point. But what we'll start to see, and we'll see this in Exodus 18, is Moses starts to drift from his true calling. All right, we can resonate with that. Where we've been called to live a certain way, we've been called to do something specific by God, we've been called to live a certain way, and we all experience that drift at times. We get a little bit off center, a little off track. Moses experienced that as well. And what we're going to see is somebody comes alongside Moses and begins to help get him back on track, which makes this story a little bit even more interesting is the family dynamic. The person that is going to come alongside Moses to help him is his father-in-law. Just there's so many jokes that I could say, but I'm not going to because I have a father-in-law. So I'm going to leave them all right there and let you think of all the father-in-law jokes you want to, but I'm not going to say, oh, I'm not going to say any of them. But he's going to come alongside and help Moses get back on track. As we see that, I want you to pay attention to not just what his father-in-law does, I want you to pay attention to how he does it. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, the right thing, but the wrong way. We experience that in relationships. Oftentimes we have the right heart, but we approach it in the wrong way. And what we see with Jethro, Moses's father-in-law, we see him come alongside Moses, the right thing, but also the right way. So pay attention to those. All right, let's look at the story. Here's where it picks up. Jethro has already reached out to Moses saying, hey, I've heard all the great things that God did through you and with Israel and Pharaoh, like it's all over the news. I want to come and hear all about it. I want to come and see you. He's already expressed that. So now he's shown up to Moses's place um, out in the desert. And here's where we pick it up. Chapter 18 out of Exodus, verse eight. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he, and say this word with me, he was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the land of the Egyptians. So right there, what word did you say? Heard. I love this approach. Before Jethro, before the father-in-law comes in and says anything, He listened first. Man, that's so key. If you're gonna come alongside somebody to help them navigate their next steps and their faith, if you're gonna come alongside somebody to lead them closer to Jesus, you have to start with this posture, right? And the reason listening is so important is because listening is rooted in humility. It shows a humble posture. It shows a humble spirit to not just come in and say, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what you need to do. Do this instead of do that. Let me just tell you how to fix everything. No, he comes in with a humble heart and just listens and let Moses talk. 
Moses shared, yeah, here's what God did over here and here's what happened in Egypt and with Pharaoh. Here's the good things that happened. Here's the, the really hard things that happened. Moses is just talking up a storm and through all of it, Jethro is just listening. We have to have that approach. If we go back to Matthew 28, what Jesus commanded us to do as his followers, as his disciples, to make disciples, teaching them, then we have to be willing to have this approach that begins with humility. Jesus led with humility. He gave us the ultimate example of leading with humility. And he's commanded and called us to lead that way as well, as a servant leader, to lead with humility. So he begins with listening. And then, as father-in-laws do, they just stick around and just watch things. It's what they do. Verse 13, the next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited for him from morning until evening. Remember that time frame. That's an important fact we'll come back to. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked two questions. What are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do this all alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? So we see that Jethro, the father-in-law, comes in, and what's the first thing he does? He doesn't speak yet. He just listens. And then notice the next action here. He's still not speaking yet. He just observes. It says that he saw. He saw what Moses was doing. He was basically, Moses is sitting in this chair and anybody, and this is an entire nation of Israel. It's not just like the size of our church. Like it's a nation. And anybody that has a problem, anybody that has an issue, anybody that has a dispute, anybody that's fighting against somebody else, they all come to Moses from morning till night and he says, do this, don't do that, stop doing that, you need to do this, you both need to do that. Like all he's doing is parenting at that point is what it feels like, right? That's what we do, morning till night. We're just, don't touch that. Yes, don't do that. No, I said, don't do that. Stop looking out her window. Don't touch him, put that back. Like that's what he's doing. And through all of that, Jethro's just watching. He's observing. And then he asked a couple questions. Doesn't jump to conclusions doesn't make assumptions, isn't judgmental, just says, hey, like, I, I've watched you morning till night. To like, what are you actually trying to accomplish here, Moses? Like, what's the point? What's the goal here? And why is this just you? Like, why are, why are you the only one they come to? Oh, man, that's so important. Observe and ask meaningful questions. We begin with the posture of humility by listening, and then we observe, we watch, we see, and we ask meaningful questions. Do you know what that allows us to do? That allows us to empathize with the person we're coming alongside. Empathy, just to be clear, empathy doesn't mean you fully understand what the person is going through. Empathy doesn't mean you agree with how that person is acting or responding. Empathy is this attempt to try to understand. I'm, I, I don't fully understand and I'm not going to be able to fully understand, but I'm gonna try to figure it out. I'm gonna try to see what it's like from your point of view. I want you to kind of help me understand what you're going through. That's empathy. And it feels like that's what Jethro's doing. He's like, Moses, like, help me understand. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? What's the point? What's the goal? And like, why is this all on you? Help me understand from your perspective. I'm pretty convinced that in, especially within the, the, the Christian circles, this is the part we probably miss, or may I should say we skip. 
We listen at times, some of, for me, that's harder than probably for some of you. I, mean, I talk for a living, uh, so not talking and listening is super hard for me, but I do my best. But then we wanna just jump to, well, this is what you're doing and this is wrong and let me show you how to fix it. Like that's where we wanna jump to, but I love that Jethro doesn't skip this empathy part. He observes and asks questions. He's trying to empathize and you know what happens? You know what the result is of empathy? Value. When you empathize with somebody else, Again, you don't have to fully understand and you do not have to agree, but you're adding value to the person because you have paused long enough to hear from them, to ask questions, ask clarifying questions, help me understand, tell me why, tell me what you're trying to achieve, and that adds value to the other person. Well, I used to work with Young Life, we would use the phrase, earn the right to be heard. That's this before you just jump in and start sharing your opinions or your advice or, or giving direction, let me earn the right to be heard first so that we can develop this relationship. You're pursuing to understand, you're not jumping to conclusions, but you're trying to empathize. So then Moses is gonna answer and listen to his answer because remember the two questions. What are you trying to accomplish? Why is this all on you? Moses doesn't answer those questions. He gets stuck and well, this is just what I've been doing. Maybe you can relate to that. Verse 15, Moses replied, well, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I'm the only one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. In other words, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing, it's just kind of what I've been doing. And maybe you can fall into that at times where you just get stuck. I don't have an answer on why and what we're trying to really do. It's just, this is what I've slid into. And at this point, we would say Moses is no longer a leader, but a babysitter for God's people, right? His true calling was to lead God's people. And all he's doing is morning till night, dealing with fights. So then verse 17, this is not good. Moses' father-in-law. I want you to say that phrase with me. It's an important phrase. Say it with me. This is not good. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You are going to wear yourself out and the people too. In other words, you're going to be frustrated and your people are going to be super frustrated. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. All right, let's back up and pay attention to the progression here. Again, it's not just what Jethro did, it's also how he did it that we wanna pay attention to. If we are called to not just follow Jesus personally, but to lead other people in a relationship with Jesus, to disciple others, to make disciples, we need to pay attention to not just the right thing, but also the right way. So Jethro starts out, what does he do first? He shows up and he, he listens. And then after listening, he begins to observe. And what did he do? He asked questions. Help me understand, he empathized, tried to understand from Moses' point of view. He listened again. He let Moses answer the question and then earned the right to be heard and he said the phrase, Moses, this is not good. He listened, he observed, he saw, he watched, he asked questions, he listened some more and then, then he spoke the truth 
but he did not just speak the truth. He spoke the truth in love. Look at how he explains it. The truth would be, this is not good. Moses, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is not helpful. Moses, what you're doing is outside of what God has called you to do. He's called you to lead the people, not just sit here and tell them what's right and wrong day in and day out. Like there's no movement there. So Moses, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is not good. But the loving side is, Moses, you're gonna wear yourself out. Moses, it's, it, it's not good for you. It's not good for your people. God's using you to lead an entire nation and you're gonna frustrate yourself, you're gonna burn out and you're gonna frustrate the people around you. Moses, this isn't good. What you're doing is not good. It's truth, oh, but it's so full of love. And you have to have both. I'm sure you've heard that phrase, speak the truth in love. If we're honest, I believe at least that every single one of us has a bend. Every single one of you, me included, we have a bend. We either bend towards just speaking truth or we bend on speaking in love. If you're a bend towards speaking in truth and you're like, I call it like I see it. They ask for it and I'm gonna tell them. Not saying it, not sugarcoating it. That's the best way because if you sugarcoat it, it's not gonna help, right? So that's some of you and some of you are laughing and I see a lot of these. You know who you are. If not, I'm gonna help you figure it out. The speak, and, the speak and love people, you're the, I mean, I don't wanna like hurt their feelings and like, I mean, they're a really nice person. And I just, I, like even me, even me talking about this is causing you stress right now. And it's getting a little tense. So let me help you understand. If you're not sure which one you are, let me set this scene up and I think you'll be able to quickly tell. So imagine yourself, there's something important you need to show up to. It's an evening event, you need to show up, so you kind of dress nice. You get all dressed up, and you're gonna go to this event with your spouse, significant other, or a group of friends. And so they also, just like you, knowing the importance of this event, they also get all dressed up. And when that person, spouse, friend, significant other, when you get ready to leave and you go to the car, this person turns and looks at you and says, I know this is really important tonight, I know this is a big deal, how do I look? That question. First of all, husbands, don't answer it. There's not a, there, it is a lose-lose. It is a trap of a question. But for the sake of our conversation, I want you to at least mentally think about your gut response. So husbands, if your wife looks at you and says, hey, how does this outfit make me look? Don't answer out loud. For the love of God, please don't answer out loud. But in your mind, if you think terrible, like that doesn't match at all. Like if that was your natural response, or it could have been, yeah, good, you look fine. Like either one of those, you are, a, you are a natural truth teller. Some of you though are like, oh, how do I say this nicely? <sighs> like if that's you, then we don't need to know anything else. I know that you are just the, I just wanna speak things in love and I want everybody to get along. Like that's you. We all have a bend, which means you're gonna have to work a little harder on the other side that you are not naturally bending towards. So if you're a truth teller, you need to figure out how to speak truth in love. If you just care about people and you just wanna love people and just give everybody a hug, you have to also include the truth and it needs to be clear, right? So let me put a few passages up again. That, that phrase, speak the truth in love, that comes from scripture. So I want you to see that. Uh, this might be good to take a picture of. I'm gonna go through these super fast. I mentioned it earlier. Anytime you do Bible study, you need to look behind that verse. You need to look ahead of the verse. You don't wanna take these out of context. So these are just one or two verses. There's a lot more in there that gives you a lot more context we don't have time for. But Ephesians 4.15, we will speak the truth in love, growing to become more and more like Christ, right? So that's where that phrase comes from. We see Galatians 6.1, notice, notice the words here. 
If a believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, so if you know what's right and wrong, you know what it looks like to fully follow Jesus, look what we, are, we should do. We should gently and humbly help the person. You catch those words? Gently, humbly. They need to know the truth, but we come alongside and we do it in a gentle, humble manner. Second Timothy, I love this passage. Don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only starts fights. We're not called to fight. We're called to be kind, but not just about being nice and kind. Look, be able to teach. So we need to be kind. We're not just gonna have fights for fighting's sake, but we need to be able to teach and share the truth. But we also need to be patient, especially with difficult people. Like, do you see the gently and the humble? Like, do you see both of these working together? Speaking the truth in love. Jesus is the only one that does this perfectly. We will not do this perfectly. Oh, but we need to try. Just because we won't be perfect at it doesn't mean we're like, well, I'm just a truth teller. I just said, call it like I see it. Oh, I just really want people to be loving. I don't want them to misunderstand. Like, those are our bins. We have to be willing and to do like what Jethro did here, to speak the truth in love. This is not good. That phrase he said had to have been said. Please don't miss that. It needed to be said but he needed to make sure he said it in a way that was still full of hum humility, compassion, gentleness, and love, but it needed to be said. Speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. I wanna read a quote from uh, Tim Keller. Tim Keller said this in regards to truth and love. He said, love without truth is just sentimental. In other words, it's just like, oh, it makes me feel good, sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but it keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. Then he shows us the per perfect example of God's love through Christ. He says, God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are, yet also radical unconditional commitment to us. So in other words, God's love through his son, Jesus Christ, when Jesus went to the cross to take away our sins, he gave us this radical truth that we are sinners, that we are flawed, and we are in desperate need of a savior. He, it's a radical truth, but he did it wrapped in love and grace that says, no matter what, I'm committed to you. No matter what, I love you. No matter what, I will pursue you. No matter what, we have to be willing to come alongside people, but do so while speaking the truth, but also in love. And in this case, to help Moses open his eyes, to see how he's drifted, to see how he's gotten away from who God has truly called him to be. Verse 19 through the rest of this paragraph, a uh, lot of good lessons in here. In fact, if you're a business leader, if you're part of the leadership community, you're gonna hear this and be like, dude, this is like leadership 101. Yes, biblical principle that applies in a lot of different ways. That's not what we're gonna focus on, but let me read it first and we'll explain. Verse 19, so now listen to me. So Jethro's now to the point where he's like, let me help you understand what to do next. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice or counsel and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representatives before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's de decrees and give them his instruction. Show them how to conduct their lives. So keep doing what you're doing, but, verse 21, here's where we need to change, Moses. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,150 and 10. Leadership structure, you see what he's doing here? They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. 
Let the leaders decide the smaller matters for themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. And here's the result. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, both are important, then you will be able to endure the pressures and all these people will go home in, what's the word? Go home in peace. Mm. Isn't that the goal? Not peace as in the absence of conflict, but the peace, the peace that comes from knowing God. He said, Moses, this is not good because how you're, what you're caught up in right now is not gonna lead to peace. It's gonna lead to frustration. So I love that Jethro shows up and doesn't just quickly point out everything that Moses did wrong. He listened, he observed, he asked questions, he listened again, he spoke truth and love, but then he offered a next step. He offered a solution. Moses does, or Jethro doesn't come in as a father-in-law that just points out everything that Moses is doing wrong. No, that, there's a name for that, critical. That's not what Jethro's being. He's not a critic, he's not being critical because he brings a solution and he's gained the right to be heard all the way through relationally. So he said, Moses, something's got to change. And if you do this, let me lead you, let me come alongside you, it's going to lead to peace. What I want us to focus on, I said I don't wanna focus on the leadership structure, like that's a whole nother sermon, great lesson right there. What I want you to focus on is what this is gonna lead to. Remember what we said earlier, Exodus chapter three, how we started it was God called Moses from the burning bush and said, I want you to lead my people, right? And we've said it already that Moses has gotten to a place where he's not leading God's people. He's not fulfilling God's calling in his life. Another way you might say it that we might relate to, I've drifted away from God and I'm just kind of stuck doing what I've always been doing. Maybe that hits home. I'm just stuck and I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to move closer to God. I don't know how to grow in my faith. I just feel like I'm just doing what I've been doing and it's because that's the, what I felt like was needed, but Moses doesn't know what to do here, specifically in his relationship with God. And what Jethro comes alongside Moses to do, it's really not about a leadership structure. It's about helping Moses get back to who God has called him to be. It's about helping Moses have that space to be able to be with God again, to hear from God. Because if Moses is gonna lead God's people, he's gotta be able to hear from God. If you're gonna lead somebody else, you also have to be led by God first. And that's what Jethro was truly trying to do. So let me ask this question. I want this to like just sit with us for a minute. And then I want you to see how this works at the end of the story. Here's the question. If people actually listen to your advice, like any advice, any counsel that you give, if people listen to your advice, would they be closer to Jesus? Or is it just a nice helpful life hack? Or is it just helping people do things the way that you would do things? Are you giving advice based on your preferences or your opinions? Or are you giving advice based on the truths of God's word. If people actually listen to your advice and your leading, would people be closer to Jesus? I bring that up because that's, that's what we're gonna see here. Very next verse, verse 24, kudos to Moses. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. Now, I just have to make an assumption here that if, if Jethro came in hot, meaning he showed up and immediately went to Moses, what you're doing is wrong and you need to do it different. Hey, let me show you this new leadership structure. In fact, move out of the way. Let me take care of this for you for a little bit. I know how to do it. I don't think Moses would have been very receptive. 
but because of how Jethro came alongside his son-in-law, listening, observing, asking questions, speaking the truth in love, empathizing, caring, I think that allowed Moses to listen. And I love that this story bookends with listening. Jethro was the one listening at the beginning, and now Moses is the one listening at the end. He was able to listen and receive the truth and the direction of Jethro's leading. Then go to chapter 19. Right after this happens, Jethro goes home. Moses implements this new structure, verse two out of chapter 19. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. What was the time frame that Moses was spending doing disputes? Do you remember that was from what? From morning till evening. I think, maybe I'm making an assumption here, but I think if Jethro never came alongside Moses and spoke the truth and love to Moses, I think Moses would have continued to just be a glorified judge. And I don't think he would have had the time and the space to hear from God. And you could read through the rest of chapter 19 and throughout the rest of Exodus, and you see Moses continues to have this growing relationship with God that is a dialogue with God, which you cannot have if you're just stuck doing whatever you did morning till night. He needed somebody to come alongside of him and help him refocus and help him recenter. Church, as followers of Christ, if that's you, your life is spent, yes, pursuing Jesus, being a follower of his in every aspect of your life. You are a follower that fully follows him. But we also are called to make disciples, to help other people, to teach them what Jesus has taught us. In other words, if you know how to make good pancakes, help other people make better pancakes. <laughs> My paraphrase, not exactly what Jesus meant, but you get the point. But you have to do that in the right way, and it matters. Let me say this, if you're somebody that you're like, man, I'm still wrestling with this Jesus thing, I'm not a follower yet, but I'm here and I'm trying to learn. Here's what I would say to you. Would you allow somebody to come alongside you? It takes humility for somebody to come alongside. It also takes humility to allow somebody to come alongside. Would you allow somebody to step alongside you, to ask questions, to empathize with you, to speak the truth and love, and would you be willing to wrestle with that and receive it? Not based on somebody's opinion, but based on God's word. Romans chapter 10 gives us the truth, and it is wrapped in love. The truth, Romans chapter 10, verse nine, is if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. That's the truth. The truth is that we are sinners in desperate need of a savior. The truth is that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, humbled himself to be like us and walk among us, but to live a perfect life. He loved us so much that he went to the cross willingly, taking away our sin and our guilt and our shame. His sacrifice is what gives us the hope of eternal life. His death on the cross is what gives us abundant life starting today. That's the truth. But don't miss what happens and what is said a few verses later. Verse 14, still out of Romans chapter 10. But how can they call on him, Jesus, to save them unless they believe in him? 
How can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. It's our job to tell them. Followers in the room, it's our job to make disciples and to do it in the right way to come alongside people and to lead them to Jesus. And if you're still questioning Jesus and your faith, allow people to walk alongside you and to lead you in the truth of God's word. When you walked in today, uh, you should have picked up some communion. If not, we'll have our guest services team walking around. They'll be happy to just raise your hand, be patient, they'll get to you. Communion is a, a very intentional opportunity that we take to remember and reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus, the truth and the love. The truth, like I said, that we are sinners in need of a savior and the love that he's poured out for us because we don't deserve it. The cracker represents Jesus's body that was broken for us. The juice represents Jesus's blood that was shed for us. His death, his sacrifice, his humility that gives us life. Let me pray for us and then I'll give you a few moments to be, to have some space like Moses on the mountain give you some space to be with God. Jesus, thank you so much for the truth, but also the love that you give us. Thank you so much for not sugarcoating the truth, but for telling us exactly what we need. More importantly, who we need. Jesus, thank you for doing so in such a loving, kind, and gentle way, where you are patient with us, you are gracious with us, not giving us what we deserve, but loving us regardless. In this moment, we thank you. Our hearts are filled with gratitude of the truth and the love that we receive from you. God, I pray that in this moment, not only are we grateful, but maybe even a little convicted to yes, fully follow you, but to fully follow you while leading others. Grow our relationship with you. Lead us so we may lead others. In Jesus' name, amen.